Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan. And we are going to be doing something slightly different for this series. If you've been following along, the last few series have been deep dives into specific film franchises. This series is going to be more focusing on the broader themes that come up in horror as each guest I have on talks about why horror for them so i am joined by jonas barnes today and before we jump in to see where this discussion goes there jonas if you could just introduce yourself yeah absolutely hey thank you for having me on i uh i really appreciate it it's uh i always like talking horror it's uh it's always one of my things um yeah i'm a stand-up comic i'm a writer um i have my own podcast called another goddamn horror podcast Uh, yeah yeah you know it's kind of funny we actually originally named it another fucking horror podcast and then we were just like oh somebody already has that one oh no (laughs) that's even better (laughs) right right we were like you know what we like those people immediately we're just like those people we dig them um and yeah i do film review i do film journalism i do a lot of stuff with horror films specifically Mm -hmm. um like i work pretty closely with ifc midnight um and I do like pre-release reviews for a 24 horror films and stuff like that. So I horror has been my jam since I was a child. So I, uh, I literally just talked to another person about my very first heavy metal concert. My very first rock concert was Alice Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare. But I was in my mom's stomach at the time. So, <laughs> so even as a first, right. Even as a fetus, I was, I was still getting the horror rock, you know? So brilliant. So you were, you were destined for greatness then. <laughs> and but that's, that's actually a perfect segue to one of the questions that I compiled for each guest to kind of as jumping off points, but it's probably something every horror fan that, guests or host a podcast has asked or is asked so it's but do you, do you remember the first kind of horror film that you watched and then leading slightly from that because sometimes it can be different depending on the ages someone watches horror and stuff like that but what was the do you know the first horror film that kind of made you a fan of horrors and the one that made you go oh you know this is something I like <laughs> I do. Yeah. So this is actually kind of funny. My first horror film and also the first horror film that actually scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. are from the same franchise, but they're not the same movie. Ooh, so, interesting. yeah. So first horror film I ever saw, like I think a lot of people um, at my age range, which is 39, mm-hmm. um, is The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. That would be- so it's a classic. I saw it when I was young. Definitely mm-hmm. shouldn't have, you know. <laughs> Um, but I remember when I was young, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, you know, spooky things jumping from behind a wall. Like, ah, it scared me like that. Um, but the first one that actually scared me was Exorcist 3. 
Interesting, because that's usually it's, one of the Exorcist films that kind of isn't as highly rated as the others. It's not, yeah. And I, you know, I've I've talked about this over time and thought about this over time, and I feel like the reason that Exorcist three kind of got the the short end of the you know of the stick mm-hmm. on that is because the Exorcist two was completely unwatchable. It was one of the worst sequels to a movie, mm-hmm. especially a classic movie like ever made it was so bad and so when people saw exorcist 3 come along they were like dude i don't i'm not even gonna give that movie a chance like did you see exorcist 2 i'm not gonna watch exorcist 3 (laughs) you know and then when you watch exorcist 3 it is a very different movie than even exorcist 1 it's more of like a half police procedural half exorcism movie but it's also got like two of the most legendary jump scares right after each other like within the Mm. span of like a minute and a half um there's two legendary jump scares and they're very like simple they're very simple nuanced ones but they both like it's kind of like the first one makes you shit your pants a little bit and then the second one's like oh i got the rest of it out (laughs) you know what i mean um that's a that's a brilliant metaphor (laughs) yeah it is it's like i I didn't get all of it the first time so thank you for hitting me with that second jump scare it's like mean people um but uh there's also just the fact that brad dorf um Mm. he's so he's so good and in exorcist 3 specifically he has like that nine minute monologue part where he's talking as the gemini killer Mm. and it is bone chilling how good he does that part so by the end of it like that's real fear like it's not manufactured like ghosty fear or something like that like it's real fear and i remember that still like that sticks in my head to this day where it's just like oh that one like that one affected me you know like the first one was, you know, shock and fun, like crazy. And, you know, like she's mm-hmm. masturbating with a crucifix and she's puking everywhere and there's a crab walk and it's stuff like that. And like that stuff is scary for sure. Like it's wild. But hearing Brad Dorf like explain his murders in this mm-hmm. like gleefully psychotic way for that nine minutes was just like that stuck to my bones, you know? <laughs> so it was just like that. Those are the two like. First one, first movie I saw, a classic. Second, the third one scared the bejesus out of me and stuck with me for life. To this day, I'll still tell people, Exorcist 3, that one hurts. Like, that one is scary, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think every horror fan probably has, like, that movie that just imprinted on their psyche. And it's, like, not even necessarily in, like, a good I love this movie way but just in a I've been permanently changed because of this film and the film that does that for me is and sometimes like now as I've like grown older and gone more into like appreciating like different aspects of horror and watching more horror I'm kind of just like oh really damn but it was right. the, the American grudge so the remake of Juong and um, the far superior Korean or Japanese version um but it was the Sarah Michelle Michelle Gellard grudge. And basically, I was heading to the cinema with my dad. We were planning on seeing Alien versus Predator, but my dad got the dates mixed up, so that wasn't out yet. And then he saw a poster and said, oh, that's your one from Buffy. That movie should be <laughs> fine. So we sure. went in for the grudge. And I think I spent about 
85% of that film literally cowering between like the seat and this like the aisle of the seats like just like on the floor kind of like almost rocking back and forth and then, oh, like, yeah. every now and then my dad was just like you do know we can leave and then I guess just I've been permanently affected by late stage capitalism but I was just like no you spent money we can't leave <laughs> right, right right yeah yeah so I chose to be permanently we have to get damaged. our money's worth we have to get our money's worth we can't <laughs> exactly, do it <laughs> exactly but there's just that one scene from the grudge where Sarah Michelle Gellar like goes into the like wardrobe type thing and then like you know looks up and then turns around the ghost says, says but now I cannot sleep if my wardrobe is open, if I see it crack open, I have to get up and close it. Otherwise, I will not sleep because it's open. And that is now coming close to probably like 15 or so years later after seeing that film. So permanently, permanently damaged. It does. That makes sense. That's kind of a thing that happens. You know, you watch certain movies and they mm-hmm. stick with you, for, especially from a young age. Like me, I cannot walk into a room if somebody is crab walking across the top <laughs> of the ceiling. You know, I just can't do it. <laughs> Um, but no no for for real though the grudge the grudge is one of those movies too that like when it came out Mm. um it was like it was kind of it's like the first of its kind for a long time uh to make to have that kind of a fear that kind of a Mm -hmm. scare you know because it wasn't just ooga booga jump scares. Like it was stuff that was like, oh yeah, they definitely creepy. worked with the sound and everything. Yeah. So it was well made, but like it's just now that it's just like, you know, when you become like a proper like hardcore horror fan, you're just like, oh, it's a remake of something classic and original. Oh, why is that the one that scared me? Like, well, how it's dare still you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare you? But um... well, the ring, the ring was the same way. Like mm-hmm. if you go from the ring and Ringu, it's like Ringu was good. Like Ringu is legendary, you know for what it was and also for asian cinema it's great but to be fair like the americanized reboot with you know the ring Mm -hmm. was also pretty solid you know definitely and it legitimately was scary like you know the crunchy chick running out of the tv crawling Mm -hmm. at you like that's nobody wants that that's not a thing anybody wants (laughs) nope you know (laughs) definitely not it created many people you know what i'm not gonna watch tv late at night that's just something i'm not gonna do now (laughs) no that would screw up 100 percent of my days that it would happen in that would be the end i would nothing would be done that day it's like nope anything else scheduled absolutely not (laughs) nope 100 percent. but actually one of the things you mentioned uh, when you were talking about the exorcist exorcist 3 and how that like literally scared you so much and it had such an imprint on you that actually leads into one of the questions that i kind of actually had because it's something that i think is quite debated amongst a lot of kind of like horror communities but um basically i'm like i'm still not sure if this is something i see specifically on twitter social media or if it's actually something people generally feel but you do see a lot on twitter like under you know maybe reviews of films or stuff like that where you'll see someone go this film wasn't good because it didn't scare me and I want to know what you think do you think like a horror film needs to be scary to be considered good or effective or are they two different categories like can you have a horror film that's good but not necessarily scary and and then technically a film that could be considered almost objectively not great but can scare you 
Right. And it's, it's, so it's, it is an interesting question and, and an interesting debate because it's kind of the same thing with stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you look at stand-up comedy, somebody says, well, that's not funny. It's like, well, that's also subjective. Mm-hmm. And that comes with horror movies, too, because what scares you may not scare the person next to you and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So a quote-unquote good horror movie can be many things. And it can also be many things to many people. So whether it's scary or not is kind of it's a hard thing to debate in the sense that like is a good horror movie always going to be scary not necessarily you know if you look at i'll give you an example of two different movies that are the um, an original and a remake Mm -hmm. okay original dawn of the dead it's actually scary like it's it's a movie that is legitimately scary based off of its time frame, based off of when it was made, how it was made, the effects Mm -hmm. they were using at the time. It had that constant dread of legitimate scariness because, you know, you had the primitive effects, you had the, you know, the way it was filmed, the way it looked, all those Mm -hmm. things. Now let's look at the Zack Snyder (laughs) Dawn of the Dead remake. That's still a very good horror movie. Yeah. Is it scary? Not necessarily, but is it fun? Absolutely. Like the whole opening scene of the zombies literally sprinting after people and like football tackling them into the lawn. There's a part of that that is in fact scary, but also at the same time, it's kind of like the dead and the furious. You know, you're just like, (laughs) yes, you know, you can root for a horror movie, even if it's not terrifying you, you know, um, Mm -hmm. But then that also goes into like another thing with people with artsy horror films. You know, you look Mm -hmm. at a movie like The Witch. The Witch is scary as hell. Yeah. You know, it's but it's only scary to certain people. Like I watched The Witch and I'm not afraid of it because I was falling asleep. It was too boring (laughs) for me. It was slow. It was too slow for me. But I can recognize that as being a very scary movie. You know, Mm -hmm. another example, Hereditary. Amazing movie. Mm-hmm. also legitimately terrifying you know like that movie scares the absolute piss out of me but i know a lot of people that will watch it and be like no it was a great horror movie but there was nothing scary about it mm-hmm. and i'm like really like a girl's head on the side of the road covered in ants wasn't scary like yeah a, a literal child being decapitated that doesn't frighten you right that doesn't scare you at all like nothing the yeah. world's worst allergy attack? No, that doesn't <laughs> scare you? No. <laughs> but, yeah. like, you know, so again, it is, it's hard to say because it is very subjective, but I think that a good horror movie should elicit a feeling out of you. And when I yes. say that, it could be anything. You know, it could be joy, even like at the carnage on screen. You know, you could be relishing in that. You could be looking at the practical effects and being like, dude, those are awesome. I love, you know, I love that. Mm-hmm. Or it could be the storyline, or it could be the atmosphere, it could be the subject matter, like anything that it is that elicits a feeling, like an actual feeling out of you. That to me is a good horror movie because I think that's what horror really should do. Yes, you know, I, I completely agree with that. And actually, this is something I've mentioned once or twice before with other guests um, in, on different um, series. But the author, Joe Hill, or Joe Hillstrom King, the son of Stephen King, yeah, um, yeah. one of his, uh, I saw him like commenting just kind of like about horror and his writing. And he was kind of saying like, um, you know, the crux, like the kind of like almost foundation of horror isn't 
um, based around fear it's based around empathy as in like you're kind of like almost you know an effective horror is when you care so much about the characters that what is happening to them elicits a response in you so, you know in the, like that's like uh, how you can bring out a very effective story so one example of that for me anyway is the black phone the most recent film that's just out now yeah still in cinemas like you know going off like a classic kind of like you know kind of scary ghost horror film it's not that scary but it's also terrifying in its examination of terrible humans Um, but it's also you care so much about those kids that what is happening to them you know you want it to end up you know in a positive way for them you care for them so I think that film is effective in that sense. But I've seen a lot of people saying again, because that's the thing, things are subjective. But I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, it wasn't that great because it wasn't that scary. And I just always feel like that's such a reductive approach to horror that if I'm not scared, it wasn't good. And I'm just like, it could right. have just not worked for you in a, it didn't make you feel fear, but that doesn't necessarily mean the film was objectively not great. I think right. some some people just have a, I don't know, it's maybe too reductive or too narrow lens of what horror is. And then I think actually that's a good kind of segue into one of the other questions that I had. Um, but like, Real, real quick yeah, before you jump into yeah, that question, I just wanted to say this. The thing with horror movies is that horror movies don't even have to quote unquote be good mm-hmm. to be a successful horror movie. And what I mean by that is horror has an entire subgenre of B-movies oh yes I, that are I awesome them. <laughs> yeah you know they're awesome but are they good movies objectively no like if you you know are you gonna sit down and watch street trash and be like this is a great movie no it's not it's actually a really bad movie but it elicits a feeling out of you of like you're enjoying yourself because you're watching just this gross hilarious carnage on screen that's mm-hmm made with a budget of like a dollar 50 you know like (laughs) oh I I completely agree and I think like kind of like when you're kind of like almost going back to saying you know quote unquote kind of like artsy horror films I do think like there's such a broad spectrum of what horror can be that some people kind of park themselves permanently in a camp of if it doesn't tick boxes xyz then it's you know not good it's not worth my time blah 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 whereas other horror fans like myself are kind of just like give it all to me whether it's like you know the Ari Aster films or whether it's you know Ghost Shark <laughs> give you know whatever right. it is right. <laughs> give me the shocky horror and the you know kind of slow methodical examinations of human humanity and existence I want it all <laughs> Right, like if you want to give me two Babadooks and a side of Amityville in space, I'm a happy guy. You know what I mean? Like you can give it, just throw it all on my plate and I'm going to look through it and I'm going to find probably something I like and even the ones that maybe are not like my favorite at all, but I'll Mm -hmm. still find something that I enjoy out of it. Like there's, I cannot think of one horror film that I, I I take that back. I can think of one (laughs) single horror film that I personally thought had no redeeming quality whatsoever. And it is a slightly hot take, mm-hmm. but it's the original I Well, not even just the original, everything that have followed it, but is I spit on your grave. Mm. And the reason that most people think it's a hot take is because they're like, it's a movie that started this whole, you know, like 
it started this whole thing of like all these different revenge movies and stuff yeah. like that. And to a point, yes, but all of those other movies could exist without the existence of I spit on your grave. And mm-hmm. I spit on your grave is an objectively bad movie on top of the fact that it's unnecessarily hurtful. Like mm-hmm. it's unnecessarily hateful in its presentation to the point where at the end of the movie, even with a payoff, you walk out of the movie feeling disgusting. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. there's no positive feeling on it. So, you know, sure. You have other, um, you know, quote unquote, uh, rape revenge films, which are, they are their own subgenre and they do have their place, but when it's done right, it's done very well. 100%. I completely agree there. Like, you know, the one that always jumps out to me and just, again, I've only like had the one watch of it, but it had such a like lasting impact on me. But um, Revenge from Carly Fargat, the French director. Oh, incredible yes. film. Amazing. But also because when you've got a woman making a film about, you know, a woman's rape revenge, it's so much more nuanced and powerful than when you've got a man doing the same so right the perspective is different all the pov is different the feeling behind it is different the way that it's approached is different the handling of the actual you know the actual scene is Mm -hmm. is handled differently and that's one thing that was brilliant about revenge is because the way that um Coraline handled that scene Mm -hmm. is you saw just enough of what you needed to see to know what was happening yes and then right after it was done, you see the after effect, which means that you you know everything that happened, but you didn't need to viscerally see it. Exactly. But then when, but then when that revenge portion happens, you're like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, I am I want to see all of this. I want <laughs> yeah. to see this man get, like, eviscerated in every way possible. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And her her usage of, like, color and her usage of the blood mm. in the movie was brilliant it was like like i read a story about uh, about this before the movie came out because i ended up seeing a pre uh pre-release of that movie Hmm. and there was this big q a about it and one of the things that i saw that was crazy is that she actually had to get she had to stop production and get more fake blood because she had gone through so much of it filming the third act of that movie Oh yeah. <laughs> and and you know for anybody that hasn't seen the movie I won't spoil it but the third act is bloody. Like very, very bloody. <laughs> but like realistically bloody too. Like mm-hmm, it wasn't definitely. like you know not like dead alive bloody but like for real bloody. <laughs> you yeah. know. Oh yeah, like just powerful and very like I don't you know did they actually just do this? Like you know the right right are very It had that very feeling. <laughs> And it was so cathartic. Like that was the way, like if you're going to do a movie like that, that is how you do it. You yes. handle the parts of it that you need to handle with not even kid gloves, but with like, with a certain finesse that mm-hmm. shows the audience just what they need to see. You know, yeah. you, you don't have to, you don't have to romanticize the assault in those movies mm-hmm. because it's not necessary. You don't need to see all of it to get the point across. And the other one that I would put in that same uh, that same category is The Nightingale, which is another one that's directed by a woman. It's directed by uh, by Jennifer Kent, the one who that did the Babadook. the Babadook. Yes, I haven't seen this one, but it's been it's come up on my list of films like to watch because of like the category or the subgenre it falls under. Right. I need to see that one. But yes, go ahead. Talk about it because I've heard only good things. 
yeah, it's an incredible film and it's a period piece too. It's a period mm-hmm. piece that's based in Tasmania and it's based during a time in Tasmania when, um, when Irish prisoners were, um, basically imprisoned and enslaved mm-hmm. in Tasmania. Yeah. Many of them were women, um, by British colonials. So, you have these mostly women that are out there that are subservient to these British colonial dudes Mm -hmm. and they treat them like literal property. So at a certain point, there's the main, uh, the main character, the main protagonist. Uh, she finally has enough and she's like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. And she says that she's leaving. And the way that it's set up at that time, especially in that period is that Mm -hmm. each, each colonial dude had a prisoner like that was their prisoner you know so she told him i'm out i'm done i have a family blah 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 um all of his boys basically tell him you know for for lack of a better term in modern terms they basically said oh you just got bitched out you know like it was kind (laughs) of like that like no she told you like what are you gonna do about it now Mm -hmm. so he does the worst thing that he could possibly do um and then once that happens she wakes up from it and like you can see what happens to her. Mm. There's a part of her that dies inside and is like, I'm taking every single one of you down now. Mm -hmm. Like, and the way that it shifts is beautiful. Like the way that it's filmed, the way that it's presented, the way that it's done, the actual color paletting, like all of it is this like, it's got this like almost dark beauty to it. Mm-hmm. And even though the subject is super heavy and super hardcore, her portrayal of it is, is kind of like a, it's almost a perfect portrayal of somebody who has reached their final limit, you know, mm-hmm. and her takedown of each one of these guys that was complicit in what had happened is methodical. It's done in a way that's not like, it's not um, sensationalized. Like mm-hmm. there's no saw traps in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not that, you know, like she's just walking around picking dudes off. Like <laughs> She's just like, Oh, you're going to have a smoke. Well, guess what? You know, like that type of thing. Like she's just doesn't even try to sneak behind him. She just walks up right behind him. Just it's done, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of those. And throughout the process of it, you can see what she's going through mentally too, because they've basically taken something from her that she can't get back. Mm-hmm. So she's like, this is now my goal. And once this goal is completed, then we're going to go from there. And it's an absolutely beautiful film for mm-hmm. what it is, you know? And it's one of those movies I cannot recommend enough to people, but it's also kind of one of those movies where you watch it once and you're like, Ooh, that might be the only time I need to watch that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, th- I think we all have those kind of films where you've watched it and you're like, either it was like still a film that you thought was very well made and good, but just because of the content, you're just like, you know what? that one watch was enough or you've got films that you've watched and your takeaway from it was that was not good and the content was also not good so i'm not revisiting you know i had a friend of mine that i sent it to and i was like you got to watch the nightingale and she's a friend of mine that it's been a friend a long time we're Mm -hmm. both horror fans 
And she sent it back to me after she was done watching it. She's like, I'm so pissed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's kind of one of the emotions you should have got out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, but also I'm so happy that it ended the way that it did. And she was like, and I don't think I can ever watch it again. And I was like, that's what goes back to kind of what I said about horror movies. Yeah. It should elicit a feeling out of you. And if that feeling that you get out of it happens to be rage for the character that's on screen, mm-hmm. they did their job properly, you know? That's exactly. still that still is to me a very good horror film. One hundred percent. And I want to know now, actually, because that's actually a nice and um, good segue and um, circling back as well. It's all being tied up perfectly. I'm liking this. Um, but <laughs> what would um? Because I think this is different for every horror fan. Um, but what would like your personal criteria be to kind of classify a film as a horror film because i know some people probably like myself can like find a reason to call a film oh that's a horror film even though like in all senses it's not but i find a way because it's my favorite genre i want to like you know lump everything in if i enjoy a film go oh there's a reason i enjoy this oh that it's a horror film in some way (laughs) so i want to know for yourself do you like like, how do you kind of like approach like films that might sit outside of typical horror? Like, do you kind of still find a way to kind of classify it as some form of subgenre, or do you have like clear delineations? This is horror. This is not. I don't really have clear delineations because I think it can definitely it can jump genres sometimes, or it mm-hmm. can like it can blend genres sometimes. So, for example, uh, there's obvious ones like if you look at something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or Friday the 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street, or you know Michael Myers, like Halloween, mm-hmm. or any of the slashers, those are all very clearly horror films, you know. So you have stuff like that, or like even if you have the traditional zombie films, you yeah. know. Um, but even when you go to zombie films, let's look at that. If you have something like Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, uh, you know, insert thing here that's like one of the classic zombie movies. Mm-hmm those are all considered horror films, but let's look at a movie like world war Z, yeah. you know, with Brad Pitt. Is that a zombie movie? That's a horror movie, or is it just an action movie that happens to have a bunch of zombies in it? You know, mm-hmm. it, like there's, there's these little things that you can try to figure out like which one is which, but for me, I think if the subject matter itself yeah. is based in a horrific thing whether it's a monster or whether it's a an act you know or whether it's a you know even like a psychological thing mm-hmm. if it's if the actual base of it happens to be a horrific thing then i think you can still to me anyway you can still consider it horror so like an example for me of one that i consider a horror movie that a lot of other people don't is the movie seven Mm, oh yeah no i would uh definitely uh myself i would definitely branch that in under horror in some vein because oh that is a like even if it's not a as you said like a classic slasher or creature Mm -hmm. feature it does examine like you know the horrifying nature of humanity so in many ways i would definitely say that's a horror and i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly it has been covered in some way on mike munster's evolution of horror podcast so if something comes up there then you know that mike is like yep this is a horror film (laughs) right right and like i've talked to people about that because they're like no 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 no. it's like a psychological drama or it's a psychological Uh. thriller or whatever like that and i'm like i mean like it is but also like all the things that the you know that john doe does to all the people based off of the seven it's like a saw movie like it's kind of yeah it is 
it's like it's like a saw movie but like you didn't have to see all this all the yes. traps happening you just saw the end of it and it's like that's pretty horrific you know and but here's another example going the other way the movie zodiac mm-hmm. i absolutely don't consider that a horror movie i consider that a police procedural you know yeah um so just because it happens to be based around a serial killer doesn't mean it's a horror movie and just because it doesn't happen to be a movie where it shows you all the guts and glory doesn't mean it's not a horror movie. Like if seven is scary. Like it's a, to think that that's a person that very well could exist in the world and do those things to a person. Mm -hmm. That's a terrifying concept, you know? And so, yeah, like comparing those two, the one that most people don't consider a horror movie is one that I very much consider a horror movie. Um, and I think also once you start blending into stuff like horror comedies, you have to ask yourself, like, is it a comedy or is it a horror or is it a horror comedy or like, where does it fall? Yeah. And I think that also goes back to what's the base of it. So like Tucker and Dale versus evil. Perfect, perfect example of a, of a pure horror comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that one is a horror movie because there's lots of guts and gore. But also, all of that just happens by happen chance. So there's yep. no quote unquote horrific thing, but it's got the it's got the horror aspect of it. With that, everything else is just slapstick. But then you've also got something like Shaun of the Dead. You mm-hmm. know, like that is zombies, but yep. it also happens to be funny. So it's like that one I would consider for sure a horror movie because it is a zombie film. You know, 100%. but also. You know, but also it's got that little horror part of it too. So like that little comedy part of it too. So it really, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing of, I think individually, what do you consider horror to you? I think most things Mm -hmm. it's most horror films um, have to have that one thing, that one thing that is the dark, scary thing, even if it happens to be funny, even if it happens to be, you know, whatever else just that base of it if that base of it's there that's a horror movie to me brilliant and actually i just love how you even brought up horror comedy because the second when you started talking about how oh you're a stand-up comedian that made my brain you know the gears churn i was like oh i have to ask that like because i think you know horror and comedy like are so like similar in tune in the beats they have to hit to be kind of effective or successful so that's why i think horror comedy as a genre is like one of the ones is really difficult to pull off well and very easy to fall flat on its face. Like there's, you know, when you think about horror comedies, everyone has those list of ones that you repeat because they're, they're great. They're the great examples, but there's probably (laughs) like, there's probably, you know, 10, 20 times more horror comedies that don't make lists like that because they just didn't work and so I think for me anyway what when I'm watching a horror comedy it's my all what I go into it is would this work as a horror movie if you strip the comedy away if it still does then it's a really successful horror comedy if it doesn't work without the comedy then yeah I think that's how you if you are going to kind of go into that trying to categorize, I think that's how you would categorize it. Like Shaun of the Dead is a great zombie film that just happens to be humorous as well. Right. You know, that's like, 
and if they're if it doesn't work as a horror film without the comedy then it's probably just a comedy that's trying to be scary <laughs> right right and that's where you get like the pure horror comedy of like a tucker and dale versus evil because mm-hmm. that is by all stretch like there's nothing about that that if you were to separate the comedy from it that would be a horror film yes but but in the universe that it's in that's a basically perfect horror comedy you know like because it has jump scares but the jump scares are completely manufactured and they're fun you know what i mean mm-hmm. like so you got those things but i think the perfect franchise perfect franchise example of a horror comedy that you don't know if it's going to work without the comedy but then it does is the evil dead franchise mm. you know because you have the first one that has a slight bit of comedy but then you have the second one which is fully comedy you know on top yeah. of all the splatter stuff and then you go into Army of Darkness, which is, again, you know, you got the different kind of horror, but you also have the comedy back into it. But then you flip all the way back around to modern and mm-hmm. they've stripped every single bit of comedy away from oh, it. Yes. And they turned it into the remake. And the remake is also brilliant in and of itself mm-hmm. because it's gnarly. It's scary. It's aggressive. It's a it's mean brutal. film. It straight mean film, you know. So, yeah, that's like one of those franchises that's, you know perfectly in sync with what it is and if you strip away either one of the situations you've got a film that can exist in both genres Mm -hmm. and it can exist very well you know as we've seen um that's one of my favorite franchises just for that fact that it is so versatile you know definitely 100 percent. and i'm like i cannot wait for evil dead rise i think it's gonna be fantastic it's just any more new like you know any more new evil dead is always good news in my eyes as well and for real yeah definitely you can always give me more evil dead i'm never (laughs) going to tell you no on that (laughs) brilliant but actually there's one thing then that i actually want to touch on which you it's kind of like something based on what you mentioned before when you were saying you know the one horror film that kind of like you know you just as you said it's a slight hot take but you just don't have any time for was the original i spit on your grave i want to know what you feel about because i think this is also a very divisive topic when it comes to horror fans and horror cinema but how do you feel about like the kind of topic of like censorship and do you kind of feel that like there's a line that you know filmmakers shouldn't cross when they're making a film like where do you fall under that because i like i never know like you know i'm always right. like thinking this is what i think this is a hard stance and then i see a film that kind of slightly changes that stance so it's such a nuanced topic i never really know i don't have a permanent position it's always changing but i'm sure. always interested to hear what other horror fans think so what do you think about that where do you where, what are your feelings in that area so i think at my base my base feeling on it is that I don't think art should be censored. Mm-hmm. And I, and I I mean that in a universal sense. Yes. And I also do mean that specifically with horror, because I think when it comes to films, especially that there is an audience for almost anything. And yeah. what I mean by that also in the sense is that if there is something that is being put on film that I don't personally enjoy, or that I personally think is, you know irredeemable that doesn't mean that i don't think it should exist necessarily Mm -hmm. you know yeah um if something is made with the with the purposeful intent of hurting people though obviously that should go away yeah but that's a that's such a rare like almost non-existent instance because as much as i think that i spit on your grave doesn't have any redeeming qualities 
it clearly has, you know, it clearly has stuck the test of time here. Mm -hmm. And there are clearly people that appreciate the film for what it tried to do. And I get that, you know, I I can even look at last house on the left, the original Wes Craven one. Mm -hmm. I personally think that's a piece of shit movie, but that doesn't mean that I don't think it should exist because there is a lot of people again that look at it as indie filmmakers and they're like, look what Wes Craven was able to do with no money, you know? Yeah. And like, so those things sure do exist. But I also think when it comes down to horror specifically, there's such a broad brush of what you can do in a horror film mm-hmm. that I think as long as the, as long as the content is handled, I, I wouldn't even say delicately, as long as it's handled with somebody that cares about what they're putting on film. Yes. I think you can pretty much, you know, for the most part, do anything with horror. And I'm a fan of extreme horror cinema. Like I love martyrs. I love high tension. I love audition. I Mm -hmm. love, you know, those types of movies that legitimately do make my skin crawl, you know, (laughs) like a hundred percent. But I also do appreciate what they're doing. And even if you go into like, especially Asian cinema, Mm -hmm. you know, you're looking at J horror and K horror, you've got entire subgenres within Asian horror cinema that is made specifically to be in extreme, you know? Yeah. And also because I'm a fan of practical effects, if you put a movie in front of me, that's all practical effects and it looks so realistic that I'm wondering if this is a snuff film, mm. it's going to make me uncomfortable, but I'm also going to appreciate the hell out of the worksmanship that you put into it. You know, like I'm not going to sit down with my friends and have a watch party of the August underground trilogy, <laughs> but am I going to watch it and be like, that's a dude, he did fucking great for having like $20 to work with, you know, mm, like, yeah. that type of thing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to sit there and I'll see those, but there's a difference between, am I going to sit down and enjoy these movies or am I just going to appreciate them for what they are? You know? Yeah. So I don't, again, when it comes down to it, I don't think that art as a whole should be censored, but I also do think that art should understand the artist should understand that all art is open to criticism mm-hmm. because that's what you're putting it out there for. You want people to react to it, whether it's good or bad, you want people to have a view or a thought or a voice about it. So yeah, it shouldn't be censored, but just understand that people are going to say some shit about it one way or the other. You know, if you put something out there that's provocative or like super violent or like a wild thing, like people are going to talk about it. That's kind of what you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And definitely, I would 100% fall under that you know, camp of like art itself, you know, shouldn't be censored full stop. Because if you go down that route, then you kind of go down the route of, you know, what's happening in certain sections of the world right now, where it's, you know, we're going to ban books that mention queerness of any kind and stuff like right. that, you know, and it's just like, well, no, that's not acceptable. But, you know, so it's like, it is like, you know, but then the only reason stuff like that happens is if you allow art itself to be censored. So yeah, I would definitely be art full stop should not be censored. But I, I agree with you that I think when it comes specifically to horror, I think it really comes down to the intent of the filmmaker. Like, you know, what was their purpose of making it? Can, you know, would they stand over what they've put on screen and stuff like that? You know, I think right. that's a, probably an important kind of caveat maybe. And it's kind of what you were saying there is that, you know, there's going to be reaction, whether it's positive or negative. And I kind of want to know what you think about this. And um, like, does the, 
concept of the death of the author kind of apply to horror films like would you would you feel the horror filmmakers are in any way responsible how a viewer reacts or is it once the film is out there how someone who's viewing the film reacts is not something the filmmaker is responsible for what do you think about that so it's interesting about that too because there's a couple of things like as i've worked with people in the horror industry Mm -hmm. um you know over the last few years i've noticed more and more things as i've talked to them because i talk to filmmakers i talk to actors i talk to cinematographers i talk Mm -hmm. to effects artists i talk to all these different people all over the horror spectrum and there is sort of a weird gray area with that question because the filmmaker's original vision of a film many times never makes it to screen never Mm -hmm. makes it to the audiences so i'll use a perfect example of somebody who is a phenomenal filmmaker he's one of my favorite ones and that's ty west Mm, yes ty west is for my money one of if not the best consistent horror filmmaker for what he does Mm -hmm. so house of the devil incredible the innkeepers incredible you know x was absolutely fantastic oh yes all three knocked it out of the park in my eyes yeah so now you have the black eye that is on his filmography and that is cabin fever 2 so cabin fever 2 for all intents and purposes is an absolutely horrible movie okay Mm -hmm. now when that movie released ty west was vocal about the movie that he had just watched not being anywhere close to the movie that he provided to the studio. Mm. So you have a filmmaker here now who's got this movie that's out in the market. That's got his name attached to it. That really isn't his movie. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got so much studio interference with cutting and reformatting and adding things and taking things out and all these things to where the movie that you presented is not what people see. So their reaction to it is not the reaction to the movie you made, you know, Mm. they're reacting to a movie that universal or Miramax or insert studio here, you know, saw and was like, well, nope, we think this needs to be a little bit more marketable. So we're going to do this and this and this and this. And then, you know, unfortunately the filmmakers stuck with their name being on it because Mm -hmm. that's the contract they signed, you know? So there is that aspect of it. And that happens, unfortunately, more than people realized that once you make a movie and you give it to a studio, it's now up to the studio to be like, we're going to release your movie or we're going to release the movie that we think they need to see. Mm-hmm. you know so there is that part of it i think when it comes down to it though if you're a filmmaker and you make a movie and you put it out in the world the reactions to it you kind of just have to be okay with it like mm-hmm. one way or the other if people hate it maybe you made a bad movie like you know it's yep. possible we all do that anybody that's an artist knows that sometimes the drawing sucks sometimes my joke will bomb sometimes Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you just you didn't get the right cinematographer you know sometimes it just whatever it is you know sometimes it doesn't work and that's okay um i think that as audience members though we also kind of need to understand that what we're seeing just happens to be what got put out 
that doesn't mean it was, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't mean it was what they originally intended for it to be put out. The only one I will set to aside though, is if you're one of those filmmakers that makes a movie and you leave it open-ended on purpose and you leave it open to interpretation on purpose and then people shit all over it, that's on you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you didn't give them something to work with and now like this, they're like, this blows. You can't just be like, well, it's just the way that you're thinking about and interpreting it. It's like, no, dude, you're the one that put it <laughs> on screen, okay? And like, especially if they say it in interviews, they're like, no, no, I left mm. it open for interpretation from the audience. And then they're like, I don't know why they didn't like it. It's like, that's you. Like, <laughs> the balls to have that interview and then blame it on the audience, that's you. You didn't give them enough to work with, you know? Yeah. And I've had, there's a movie I'll give it as, as an example. The most uh, recent movie from, um, from, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gilligan. Um, or no, not Gilligan. Um, uh, the same guy that did uh, 28 Weeks Later, 28 Days Later. Oh, uh, um, Danny Boyle? No. Yes. Yes. Uh, no, not Danny Boyle. Uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Okay. But it's the movie Men. Oh, Alex Garland's Men. Yes. Garland. Yes. Alex yes. Garland. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm a big fan of Alex Garland. I like Alex Garland. I don't know why his name was escaping me, but, you know, brain fart, whatever it happens. But Men, objectively is a bad movie like mm. and the reason i say that is because there's a lot of things that alex garland did on purpose that felt like he was really liking the smell of his own farts you know <laughs> like first off like the whole fact that everybody has the same face every guy has the same face awesome concept except that it was only for the audience Mm. You, know, you know what i mean like if she walked into that village and saw every man with the same face and freaked out about that and that was a part of the story that would be really cool like that would be like oh this is a weird ass village where everybody has the same face no matter what their age or race is like that's wild you know no that was just for the audience like we're the only ones that saw that so that means for 90 minutes we're beaten over the head with this idea that every man is the same who is that for? Like, you know what I mean? Like people that already know that toxic masculinity is shitty are going to look at it and be like, all right, cool. You've beaten that to death for 75 minutes. We get it. But people that don't know that toxic masculinity is a shitty thing are not going to watch that movie and be like, oh, you changed my mind. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's Mm. too, it's too open for interpretation with no loose ends being tied up. And then by the time the ending comes along, it's like this weird body horror thing. And then people, people universally were like, what in the fuck did that ending mean? And then he went in and did interviews where he's like, well, you know what? I left it open for the audience to think what that ending means. It's like, okay, well, they don't like it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you didn't give them anything to chew on. You just gave this weird cronenberg the body horror ending that really like i get the metaphor yeah generational trauma or generational you know masculine toxic masculinity births new toxic masculinity cool mm-hmm. i get it but why did we just watch a 15 minute single human centipede happen <laughs> like, like yeah you didn't put anything in the plate for them to chew on you were just like here's a bunch of weird shit figure it out for yourself like exactly and i think that sums up exactly because like i only i saw men in the cinema once and like it's still a film i'm thinking about like it's still like it impacted me in a way that like it constantly just pops into my mind and i think like you said that's what it felt like to me instead of it being like this kind of 
coherent narrative that kind of goes through you know from plot you know from start to end it kind of just felt like it was like lots of different ideas put on screen that weren't necessarily tied or linked together some of those ideas were really effective and really interesting and still has me thinking about them Mm -hmm. but as a film it's like it's not a really remarkable or memorable film but there are some memorable moments. I think that's my right. There's some memorable it. aspects of it. Yeah. yeah. Which is and that's un- like, unfortunate because th- Annihilation, his previous film was just beautiful. Annihilation's incredible. And that's the thing, like, again, when you look at some of it, again, sometimes the art that you put out there flops. Alex Garland is incredible. Mm-hmm. This one happens to be the one where I think he kind of, you know, I think he kind of got a little bit too up his own ass on it, you know, where he was just like, <laughs> I'm going to make this super artsy, crazy film and I'm going to make people think about it. And they were like, yeah, I thought about it. And what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> you know, like, and that's okay. That happens. And there was another movie that again was this one. I won't, I won't get too far into this one, mm-hmm. but just as an example, the movie is called what comes at night. I don't think so, I've heard of that one. What comes at night. I think it came out. I want to say four years ago, maybe five years ago. Mm. Um, and it's one of those like post-apocalyptic isolation horror films. Right. And it's got like Joel Edgerton in it and it's a beautiful film. It's mm-hmm. actually a very beautiful film. And the whole concept of the story is there's this post-apocalyptic world that they're living in. They're out in the forest and they have this house that like kind of, they have hoarded their water in there and like, mm-hmm. you know, their supplies and everything like that and everything's cool. But then when nightfall happens, they can't go outside because if they go outside, whatever it is that's outside will kill them you know so it's this constant thing throughout the movie where you never get to see what it is that they're afraid of and what it is that quote-unquote comes at night Mm -hmm. but there's always the constant dread so it's like oh this is cool like i'm actually really anticipating what's going to happen in this third act Mm -hmm. and then it gives you kind of a sopranos ending where it's just like and figure it out for yourself (laughs) so like it happens and then there's no quote unquote thing that comes at night. There's no mm. thing. There's no animal. There's no monster. There's no nuclear attack. There's no, there's, there's no definitive. This is nothing. Washed. They're afraid. Not even, def- not even definitive. There's <laughs> literally nothing like they don't even attempt to give you a direction to go with it to where you could think that it's like, maybe it was chemical warfare, you know, like it doesn't even give you that much of a leg up. You're just set to think to yourself, like, was there really a thing at night or were they all just paranoid schizophrenics? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> no idea at all. <laughs> I'll, I'll still have to add it to the list though. It sounds interesting. Bar the ending. <laughs> it's a beautiful it... film. And I'll always tell people watch it and then just understand that the ending is kind of going to slap you on the ass and tell you to go about your day. <laughs> like, it's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But that is actually kind of interesting. Like when you're talking about that, because I think, you know, when it comes to, and like this kind of ties back to like audience reaction to, you know, the film that gets put out there. I think, so so much of the time a viewer the audience isn't aware of like how difficult it actually is to get a film from idea to on a screen or whether that's a cinema screen or a streamer screen in general to just get a movie made like it's so much you know it's so more likely for 
there to be a stumbling block and a film doesn't get made than it is to be made. So I think a lot of the times audience members don't really necessarily appreciate how kind of lucky it is that they're actually watching this movie that got made whether it's completely effective or whether they completely love it or not what what their opinions on it are the fact that there's a movie that they're watching is a pretty cool thing like that's just you know tick the box great you know but I think just when you're saying about that like about yeah it's that kind of Sopranos ending where you don't really get that resolution and I think that is the difficult thing with those type of films that play with that dread and then end up giving the reveal because so many times with so many films the audience will be like the second the creature or the monster or the idea that is causing the fear is kind of confirmed revealed a lot of the time it feels almost like a letdown and that ends up making someone think the film wasn't good because of that reveal and so maybe when a filmmaker is going, hmm, maybe I'll avoid that potential outcome and just not give them anything. I don't know what's worse. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, what do you do? Like, do you let the audience think for themselves? And then, you know, do you yeah. suffer the backlash or do you kind of give them something to work with? And I think a perfect example of is a movie of a movie that could have gone the way of just letting the audience think mm. what they wanted to. And it would have kind of worked, but the little added bump at the end actually worked better was the movie the mist Mm, you know so when the mist happened and thomas jane had to do what he had to do if it would have ended it there you would have had that thought in your head like oh was did the mist actually come like was there actually the monsters did they actually show up did that actually Mm -hmm. have to happen and then that little bump at the end of it (laughs) ripped your soul out like it was just devastatingly bleak endings to a film of all time (laughs) right like i don't think i have ever seen the ending of a movie happen where i like almost wanted to let out a scream for the person on screen just Mm. like oh my god like just the the (laughs) mental the mental thing that had to happen to his character at that point was just, I can't even fathom it, you know? Mm -hmm. So like that one is one of those examples where it could have gone, they could have stopped it, but they didn't. And the chance that they took by pushing it that little extra over the edge, it was a home run. Mm -hmm. No. And And that movie could have fallen. It could have fallen back if they would have done that whole thing. Like, ah, we're just going to let you know. Like, "Ah, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't need to. Maybe he did need to. Never know. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I think from what I remember, that last bit of like that definitive answer, I'm pretty sure from what I recall is that was like Frank Darabont, the director. That was his decision. Because if I remember, the book kind of ends more open-ended or has a different ending because... The book is less bleak. Yeah, Stephen King is kind of not known for his endings. <laughs> um, no, he's not. He really isn't. Yeah, he always tries to kind of wrap it up in a kind of like positive way that's very King-esque. Um, so yeah, definitely f- less bleak. <laughs> My favorite Stephen King thing is when somebody asked him, somebody straight up asked him in an, in an, in an interview about Maximum Overdrive. Mm. They were like, okay, Mr. King, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and, and that's basically what they asked him. And his answer was so funny because he was like, oh, I was on so much cocaine when I wrote that script. He goes, I have no idea how, I don't even remember writing that movie. And he was like, I, that's my excuse. He was like, I was just out of my own head. Yeah, I, definitely King definitely has so many moments like that. He's 
memorable in so many ways big fan of his work though he's um, no he's incredible and that's oh, yeah. why i thought it was so great that he answered that question like that Definitely. because everybody him <laughs> yeah and after that answer you're like oh that makes total sense because that movie was absolutely written by cocaine like that's exactly <laughs> what that was <laughs> and and now when you go like to potentially rewatch it you're kind of just like ah i'm watching a coke binge that makes sense exactly <laughs> yeah you're like i'm watching a straight up backstage at a motley crew concert coke binge of a movie and then and then you can watch it and go like you know what i kind of fucking dig this movie like you know like if you didn't watch it prior to that you're like this movie's terrible now you're kind of like right, now that i get it now that i get where it's coming from this is kind of a fun movie you know <laughs> exactly if only we all knew the backstory behind the making of certain films we'd have different appreciations but um i want to know actually just kind of like coming up towards our end point and um, what do you have any specific and i'd say one of them you might have probably already touched on a few but do you have any kind of like comfort horror watches and i, I always love how it's like you know anyone who isn't a horror fan would be kind of like you know aghast that we like have comfort horror films but are there (laughs) exactly oh my god (laughs) (laughs) but are there any that are like your go-to rewatches like as in like you know if it's been a shitty day or whatever you're just like i'm just gonna put this film on because i know i'm gonna have a fun time do you have any comfort horrors i do and they're all shitty (laughs) here's the thing i do um uh, they're not all most of them are so uh, if I am having a bad day like if I go to work and I come back and I'm stressed or whatever I'll throw on like the 13 ghosts remake mm, love oh. that one <laughs> love that one and Matthew Lillard uh, just <sighs> dude Matthew Lillard to me can do no wrong mm-hmm. especially when it comes to horror films he's just what a gem of a human being he is oh. um so we got 13 ghosts remake that one always that one always perks me up uh house on haunted hill remake another one from that same that same genre that same time frame um another one kind of a hot take that's a weirdly divisive movie and i don't know why the house of wax remake i I, yeah i don't understand why that one is like so divisive because i just think it's like yes it is very you know you can tell like this is a film that was made in the early 2000s it's very much of its time with certain dialogue choices but it's also a really effective horror film. And right. that one set piece where poor, beautiful Jared Padalecki has yeah. his face peeled off because they think right. he's covered, that every time gets me. Listen, House of Wax has the remake has so many good things going for it. OK, you've got an antagonist that's straight up nasty like mm-hmm. the antagonist you've got like well you got two of them you got kind of like the waxy leather face one <laughs> but then you've also got the other one who's like the nastier meaner eviler one mm-hmm. and then you've got these awesome set pieces where the actual house of wax is just dope looking yeah. and then you've got the finale where that house of wax is melting which I found out that this is also something that was cool. That was actually a blend of CGI and practical effects mm-hmm. and that they used to pull that off. So like there was a lot of that and a lot of that wax melting was totally practical. And like when they were like Chad, Mike Murray and mm-hmm. um, uh, the people that were in that movie, they were talking about how hard it was to film certain scenes because the, the wax was real. Mm. Um 
Paris Hilton's death scene, one of the most <laughs> iconic ones. And also at the time, she was very disliked across the country universally. So when oh, that death yeah. scene happened, it got like standing applause, <laughs> you know, like, so you got that you've got you've got particularly nasty effects like the peeling of the skin thing. You've got that mm. stuff. The pacing of it was fine. It was a slasher. It knew exactly what it was. And I'll be damned if it wasn't a fun slasher, you know. Um, 100%. So, yeah, that one's one of them. Uh, the uh, Urban Legends. That's another one. Valentine. That's another one. Um, I have basically my comfort movies are right in that early 2000s time mm. where like the post scream, but not quite like getting into the later aughts where it started to get real shitty again, you yeah. know, like had that real soggy section from like 2010, you know, <laughs> to like 2015, 16, where it was just like, they were trying to pump out movies that like were remakes that didn't need to be remade. Oh yeah. There, that, was a dark chapter. that was a dark chapter for horror fans. Like there's not much that stands out from that era. It was weird, too, because they took movies like Black Christmas. They were like, all right, let's take a super successful, super scary kind of atmospheric Christmas movie and let's turn it into Saw. And it was like, why would you do that? Like, just call it something else. You don't need to do that. Again, be insert Christmas movie here, you know? Yeah. But then also you have like, I'll tell you what, you know what? Answer the whole question with one movie that is my comfort movie. It's Santa Slay. Hmm, I don't think I've even heard of that one, so I'll have to add okay. that to my list. But here's please. the thing: Santa <laughs> Slay, Santa Slay. First off, this is a bad movie. <laughs> we'll start that off and just let you know, so you're not going in expecting something that's good. It is a bad movie. Now, it is starring Bill Goldberg, the wrestler. Oh wow! <laughs> who is a giant Jewish man playing Santa Claus? Okay. <laughs> I'm already loving it. <laughs> yeah. He's not playing fat, jolly Santa Claus. He is playing a Norse Viking Santa Claus <laughs> who is coming back to kill children because the curse that was put on him has lifted and he's pissed. Okay. So he's coming to some town that is apparently close to the North Pole or whatever. Mm-hmm. And his entire purpose is just kill, 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 kill. He's just killing the shit out of people. The opening scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to tell you what the opening scene is. This is going to be the big spoiler. All right. Go ahead. The opening scene in the movie is a dinner scene. In that dinner scene, we have James Caan. We have oh, wow. Chris, we have Chris Catan. We have Fran Drescher. We have Rebecca Gayhart. And we have two other people that don't matter. So we have all those people at dinner. This is like the star cast of the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Big old Goldberg Santa comes down the chimney, destroying it all the way down because he's a huge man. They look at it and they say, Santa, oh my God. He walks into the living room. He picks up a Pomeranian. He punts it into a ceiling fan. And then he massacres the entire starring cast of the movie right in the very beginning. Before you even hit a title card, every person in that movie that had a name recognition part whatsoever, all of them are dead. <laughs> like just straight up murders the shit out of him he uh sets fran drescher's head on fire and then drowns her in a punch bowl he uh takes a candelabra and just gives rebecca gayhart a real strong boop right on the top of the head uh to kill her he does a karate kick 
to Chris Catan's chest and caves in his chest and also kicks him into a giant uh, grandfather clock. And then good old James Khan, good old James Khan. He gets the uh, turkey forks straight through the hand. And then he gets a giant turkey drumstick pushed so far down into his throat that you can see it popping out of his clavicle. (laughs) This, this movie is one of my favorite pieces of shit ever made. And I will always tell people to watch it. (laughs) It is, it is hysterical. It's the, the practical effects are great. The story makes absolutely no sense. (laughs) Um, it's oddly casually racist, but it's just cheeky enough for it to work because you've got giant Jewish Santa Claus who also happens to make giant Jewish Santa Claus jokes, you know? (laughs) So it's stuff like that where it's like, you know, it's like, I kind of want to be pissed off at you, but you also wear a yarmulke backstage. So I can't really get pissed. Like, (laughs) Uh, this is kind of your wheelhouse. So we're okay with it. Um, oh, also, by the way, the game, the thing that they do to save uh, humanity um, so that Santa doesn't actually take over the world and kill everybody is a curling match. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you how it gets to that point. But but yeah, I'll have, have fun discovering the path to get there. OK, yeah, that is going straight a, on my to watch list. <laughs> they have a curling match to save humanity. Um, and by the way, they do that seriously. They do that. And they don't joke about that. They're like, no, we're, we're doing a fucking curling match. And if you lose, if you lose, I save the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. This They're sounds... not even in Canada, by the way. They're not in Canada. <laughs> this is not like if it was in like Toronto or like Montreal or something, I would get it. I would be like, you know what? That makes sense. Nope. They're hanging out in the U.S. somewhere <laughs> and somewhere in Alaska. They're just like, you know what? Curling. Curling's. <laughs> going to be the one that either saves or destroys the universe brilliant okay that is straight on my, my to watch list and i think that sounds like a perfect note to kind of start to wind things up on because that both answers a question of what horror films do you like to recommend to people because that is one that you like to recommend and mm-hmm. it also wraps up nicely the comfort watches so before i let you go there Janice, real quick on the recommendations yeah. though i do want to say this on the recommendations that's a movie that is for sure just fun 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 but i also want to recommend an extremely brutal movie to you mm-hmm. because it's one that i don't think has gotten enough fanfare yet and it kind of has to be seen to be believed mm-hmm. um it is a movie called the sadness oh yes on shutter <sighs> yeah that is a yeah yeah that one (laughs) that one's okay so that one i thought was going to be a movie i was only going to want to only going to want to watch once i've seen it about four times now (laughs) and the reason i've seen it about four times now is because i pull something new out of it every time like whether it's the practical effects or whether it's just like the the absolute barrage of chaos that's on screen like i analyzed it after the first watch because the first Mm. watch for sure was like holy shit like what did i just watch and then the second time (laughs) yeah yeah the second time i was kind of like all right all right like kind of this is kind of like the honeymoon phase like i've already seen it like let's let's see what's really going on with this and i also ended up talking to the director and that movie is 99 percent practical there's like a couple of little sneaky pieces of CGI in there. But mm. aside from that, that's all practical makeup. Wow. That's impressive. Which is crazy. 
like especially when you see the stuff if you've never seen the sadness when you see the stuff that's going on on screen you're like whoa that's real makeup like that type of thing Mm. um and because you've seen the movie obviously i will tell you uh and the audience this is not a spoiler but i will tell you the exact moment that i knew i was in for a ride Mm -hmm. and it's probably not going to be the moment you think it was when the guy is it's in the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. and it's when the guy is on his bike and somebody jumps off of the roof or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. When they jump off the roof, when they hit the ground, the way that they hit the ground, both by the noise and also by the action of them hitting the ground, it wasn't one of those like crazy horror movie jumps where like they hit the ground and their head just weirdly yeah. explodes. Like it wasn't <laughs> anything like that. It's like, yeah. all right. It's like, do you land on an M80? What happened? It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't that. But the way that the person hit the ground, like the hollow thud Mm -hmm. and like the subtle bounce of the body that happened. When I saw that part, I was like, oh, shit, we're like doing it for real, real. Like, Mm. like, you're going for realistic. You're not going for you're not going for like, uh, you know, comical like that was that looked like somebody actually just jumped off of a roof. Like that's yeah. what that looked like. So as soon as that part happened, I was like, okay, all right, I'm picking up what you're putting down already. And then the train scene happened. It was like, okay, I'm not exactly picking up what you're putting down, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much going on with that film, but yeah, um, definitely a very brutal and gory film. So if you're a horror fan that you know you prefer the horror films that aren't that high on the gore, then probably the sadness isn't for you. But yeah, stay you, away from the yeah. sadness if you're not a gore hound. If you're a gore hound, watch it and just mm-hmm. just love it. If you're not a gore hound, stay as far away from that movie as you can. <laughs> yeah, because you will be permanently scarred. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, immediately. <laughs> Yeah, there's just, that's a very brutalistic film. And yeah, so that's two, like, I love that, actually. I think I might pick that up going forward. Two two great recommendations. One recommendation where it's, you know, this is a fun time, not necessarily that good of a film. And other recommendation of, you know what, this is actually a film that I think horror fans will enjoy. And Mm -hmm. so there are two different good recommendations. Thank you. So before I let you go there, Jonas, um, where can people find you and support your own horror work and horror adjacent work? Yeah, Your comedy as well. Of course, yeah. Um, first off, can't wait to have you over on our show, over on another goddamn horror podcast. We're definitely going to have you on there soon. Um, and for anybody that wants to find us on there, my favorite way for you to find us is by our link tree because it's got all of our stuff on there. Mm-hmm. So that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E mm-hmm. slash A-G-H-P 666. So that's going to take you to our episodes. That's going to take you to our socials. That's going to take you to all of our stuff. So uh, we've got some socials. We've got a Patreon. We got our episodes um, and our Patreon's pretty, we keep our Patreon pretty casual, but it's really just for more like interactive stuff. So if mm-hmm. you want to interact with us and things like that, that's how you go about that. Um, but me personally, if you're looking for me and my comedy and all my other things that I do, um, find me on Twitter at Jonas Barnes, J-O-N-A-S-B-A-R-N-E-S. Uh, at Jonas Barnes Comedy on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you're going to find some comedy stuff and also my photography that I do. Um, Facebook, at this point, don't try to find me because <laughs> I've, I fuck up on Facebook so many times that I have like four profiles at this point. Um, the most, if you do want to fo- follow me on Facebook, that's where a lot of my long form stuff is. So 
I will say this. My Facebook profile that is good will always be the one that is Guy Fieri with Willem Dafoe's face. <laughs> because I like to give people nightmares as soon as they get to my page. So <laughs> that is the Facebook profile that you will always be able to find me on. Um, and then, yeah, everything else, um, you know, the Instagram and the Twitter, I do, I do stuff on all those. Um, and uh, through all that stuff, it links you up to like my letterboxed and like my, you know, other stuff that I do with movies and things like that. So, um, yeah. And if you're in New York, um, I do, I'm based out of New York City. So I have a monthly show um, every fourth Thursday um, in Brooklyn mm-hmm. called the Tromedy Hour. And that's uh, at a venue called the Tiny Cupboard. So, You'll always see me posting about that, doing my promotions and stuff. So you'll always be able to see it. But yeah, if you're New York based, that's the best place to see me in person. So amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having such a fab conversation about why horror with me today. And yeah, I'm definitely excited to do likewise and jump pods and go your direction. But yes, thank you so much for joining. And to my listeners, keep your eyes and ears peeled for the next episode that is going to drop.